I'd like to invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. As we talked about last week, this begins the third section of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. In the first section, Paul showed our unrighteousness, if you remember. He showed our need for justification, our need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the second section, he then explained the gospel. How we've been saved, how we're justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That when we hear the truth that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for sinners. And when by God's grace, the Holy Spirit opens our hearts and we believe. God accepts our faith and He counts it as righteousness on our behalf. God takes our sin and He, and he lays it on Christ. And God takes Christ's righteousness and He lays it on us. This is the Gospel that Paul proclaims. This is what he He tells us in these first two sections of Romans, this is what justification by faith means. And then, beginning in this third section, which is sort of Romans chapter 5 all the way to chapter 8, Paul continues by describing life after justification. Life after salvation by by grace through faith. We looked at the first two verses last week, if you were with us. In verse 1 of Romans 5, Paul begins, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, a new day is dawned for those who've trusted in Christ, who've been justified by faith. And Paul then proceeds to inform us of what that new day will look like. He, he declares the benefits, this is what we called it last week, the benefits of our justification. First, Romans 5.1 continues, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, the justified, those who've trusted in Christ, are now, are now at peace with God. We've been reconciled. We've been brought back into relationship with God. Through the sacrificial death, through the supernatural resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can know God. Then second, Romans 5.2 says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through faith in Christ, uh, we talked about it, uh, Christ introduces us into the grace of God. We then stand in God's grace. We're enfolded, surrounded. We are continually live in God's unmerited, unsolicited, undeserved, unearned favor. That's where we live now. That's where we stand. And third, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the future hope that one day God's glory will be fully revealed. It will be revealed to all people and it will be revealed in our lives. God will transform us that we might fully glorify Him. So that's what we covered last week. The three very clear benefits of our justification. And today in Romans 3, Excuse me, Romans 5, 3 through 5. I'm not sure if we'll make it to verse 5, but 3 and 4 at least. We'll look at at a fourth benefit of justification. Romans 5, 3 begins with these uh, uh, somewhat surprising words. Not only that, what we've just seen, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now be honest. 
this benefit strikes you a little bit differently than the first three, right? Paul's saying not only do we have peace with God, not only do we stand in God's grace, not only do we rejoice in the hope of His glory, but also we, those who've been justified by faith, rejoice in our sufferings, not just a suffering, it's sufferings plural. We live in a fallen world filled with sufferings. But we're to be different from the unjustified world. They can only, at best, bear up under or or tolerate the sufferings. But mostly... But mostly the world, and and sometimes us, we moan and we complain and we look for someone or something to blame for our sufferings. And the one we we usually blame, the one they moan and complain to, the one they blame is usually God Himself. Like Job's wife, who suffered along with her husband. Like Job's wife, the unjustified world says, curse God and die. We see this all the time in in movies and, and television of our world. Just the other day, I was watching an episode of the TV show called uh, West Wing. If you want to know why I was watching it, you can ask later. I'm not going to tell you. I mean, I'll tell you later, but not now. And in this episode, President Bartlett's secretary, uh, his actual, not the Secretary of State, but his secretary, was killed in a, uh, by a drunk driver. And after the funeral service, he asks for every, it's this in this big church, cathedral, he asks everyone to leave the church. He asks for the secret service to, to seal the entrances. And then by himself, in that church, he begins a tirade cursing God. He begins by calling God, excuse me, uh, a son of a bitch. And it just goes downhill from there. He moans and he complains and he blames God not only for the death of his secretary, but all the other bad stuff that had happened in that TV season. He shakes his fist at heaven and he says, I've tried my best to please you. What did I do to deserve this? And as I watched this, I thought, for many in our world, this probably seems like a a normal or even just response to suffering. To moan and complain and to blame someone, to blame something, to blame God. But Paul says, we, the justified, have a different response. Uh, uh, mind you, a supernatural response, and a response, an opposite response. In fact, we rejoice, not moan or claim, complain or tolerate or even bear up under, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And the obvious question comes, doesn't it? How is this possible? How can we do that? To rejoice in suffering certainly isn't what anyone would call natural or normal. But today, as we look at God's Word, it's my hope, it's my prayer that God will speak to our hearts, that He'll change our perspective. Sometimes we just need to be shifted in what we're seeing. He'll change our perspective so that when we experience suffering, and we will, we do, suffering of all kinds, we'll see suffering in a new light. That we will, through the power of the Holy Spirit, rejoice. That we will be people who will be able to rejoice in our sufferings. Now I want to begin by making sure we understand what Paul means by suffering. The word suffering comes from the Greek word which literally means uh, pressure, to experience pressure, when something is pressing in on you. 
It could refer to actual pressure, somebody pushing on your chest, or someone holding you down and squeezing you. But, but in Scripture, it most often refers to the pressure that comes from the difficulties in life. Suffering, therefore, refers to the, the difficulties of life, uh, the things that bring pressure, the trials and tribulations, the persecutions and oppression, to anguish and affliction and burdens. And just so we're clear, the Apostle Paul uh, has some authority here. He's not speaking of theoretical suffering. When he says we rejoice in suffering, he has experience. He's not a stranger to severe suffering. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28, he wrote, but, but whatever anyone else dares to boast in, and, and just if, you, if you're keeping notes here, that word boast is the exact same word as rejoice in Romans. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I can identify with that one. These are the pressures, the sufferings that the Apostle Paul experienced. This is what it meant for him to suffer. Uh, So what about us? What does it mean for us to suffer? Well, it means that pressure is being put on us. Anything that's holding us down, that's squeezing us, suffering can come from sickness or from death in in your family or among your friends, from, from broken or strained relationships. We can suffer from trials at work or trouble of not having work, from disappointments in life, from verbal or physical assaults, from accidents or natural disasters. The people of the Caribbean and Houston and southern Mexico are suffering. Persecutions for for becoming a a Christian, as as Tim talked about in Japan, maybe maybe nowadays in Some places it's not actual physical, but there's pressure, great pressure in Japan and when we were in Thailand and in other places put on people who become believers from their family. Or suffering can simply come from everyday inconvenience, from traffic jams or or car problems or, or plumbing problems. Suffering does not only refer to these major disasters. Suffering involves anything that makes life harder. Anything that puts pressure on your life. Now, Christians don't have a monopoly on suffering. Nietzsche said, to live is to suffer. And Woody Allen said, I, probably, I, I apologize for quoting Woody Allen, sorry. Life is full of misery, loneliness, and suffering, and it's all over much too soon. Suffering is a universal human condition. And just to be clear, suffering is not the benefit of justification. The benefit of justification that we're going to talk about is the ability to rejoice in suffering. So now we turn to the question, how do we rejoice in our sufferings? 
Now, when Paul says we rejoice in our suffering, our sufferings, I don't want us to think uh, that he means you're supposed to jump for joy. Jump up and down every time you suffer. Woohoo, this is great. That's not the sense of this word here, to rejoice. The word actually means uh, to glory in, to, to boast in, as we saw in, in Corinthians, or rejoice in. Paul is saying that for the justified, suffering can be glorious. It can be beautiful and majestic. Suffering can be boasted in. Uh, Paul boasted, same word, suffering in his sufferings. And suffering can bring joy. Therefore, we can rejoice in our sufferings. Now, Paul knows that, that this statement, uh, rejoice in your suffering, is a little bit paradoxical even. It's not our natural response to suffering. And so he makes an argument. He follows this statement with an argument. He gives a series of four truths, one followed by the other, all designed to show why we should rejoice in our suffering. First, first he says, We can rejoice in our suffering by knowing that suffering produces endurance. Romans 5.3 again, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. I want to begin by focusing on this word knowing. Because it's, it's the knowing that's the key to rejoicing. When we know the truth, Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And and when we know the truth that Paul's going to communicate, we're free to rejoice. To know simply means to have knowledge of or an understanding of something. And what I want us to see is that the knowledge or, or the truth that Paul wants to impart is meant to affect our emotions. You know, we think of truth as as head stuff only, but truth is what then moves down into our heart and down into our emotions that it affects how we feel. In fact, this truth that he's going to communicate is is meant to change our emotions, to change how we would naturally respond to suffering. Now, we experience this all the time in our life. We receive knowledge that we then have some emotional response. The knowledge brings some emotional response. But But if what we know changes, especially in a dramatic way, then our emotions change as well. Let me, let me illustrate it. Just the other day, I experienced this. I was having dinner at my uh, in-law's house, and I heard part of a conversation over here. I got some knowledge, and this knowledge made me think, at least for a time, that one of my wife's sisters uh, and her husband had separated. And, and that impacted my emotions. I started feeling a dread and sadness and worry and fear. And then I received more knowledge, knowledge that corrected what I had heard. I found out that it wasn't my wife's sister and her husband that had separated. It was one of my nephews had broken up with his girlfriend. Now, it was still sad for my nephew and his girlfriend, but my emotions changed immediately, right? I got new knowledge. Based on this new correct knowledge, the sense of dread and worry that I had felt uh, left, and it was replaced by a sense of relief, even joy. So knowing the truth about something, something often affects our emotions. And that's what Paul wants to happen to us with regards to our suffering. Once we know and believe the truth that he's going to communicate here, we can move from, uh, from dreading and from hating and from avoiding suffering at all costs to rejoicing in it. Paul's saying that if you know the truth, the, the true nature of suffering, 
true nature of suffering in the life of a believer, the one who's justified, if you understand the sovereign God's purpose for suffering in your life, then your emotions about that suffering will be impacted. You can rejoice in your sufferings. So now let's look at that first truth again. Uh, meant to, this is meant to impact how you feel, your emotions. It's meant to bring joy. It's meant to help you rejoice in sufferings because suffering produces endurance. Now just to be clear, this truth and the three truths that follow are not universal truths. They don't apply to everyone. Suffering does not, for every person, always produce endurance. First of all, remember the context, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, this follows that. These words, these truths, these promises are for those who've been justified by faith. Specifically, those who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are Christians. So first, suffering produces endurance for those who've been justified by faith, for believers in Christ. And second, suffering... Paul doesn't say this here, but I'm going, to, I'm going to go to James, and he's going to tell us this. Second, suffering will only produce endurance in those who respond in faith. What I mean is, just because you've been justified, just because you're saved, and then you suffer, that doesn't mean you'll automatically receive endurance. You must respond to that suffering that comes into your life in faith. That's what James says, similar passage about rejoicing and suffering. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance, similar word. When we suffer, when we face trials of various kinds, this is a test of our faith. Will we respond to the suffering with faith in God? For it's when we respond in faith that we're given steadfastness, that that we're given endurance. When we suffer... When we come under the pressures of life, when you experience difficulties and hardship and and pain and frustration and disappointment, and when you, instead uh, instead of just tolerating it, enduring it, moaning, complaining, and blaming, you in faith turn to God. You look to the one who's given you uh, salvation. You look to the one who's justified you by faith. You look to God who supplies you with uh, the grace that you're standing in, with the power to endure. You look to God to give you guidance and wisdom in times of difficulty. You look to God to give you love and comfort in times of sorrow. When you do this, then you pass the test of faith. Your faith endures. It becomes steadfast. It becomes stronger. How is it stronger? It's stronger in the way, let me illustrate, with the way tempered steel, if you're familiar with that, is stronger. When you heat this steel to a certain temperature, and then you allow it to cool, its its toughness increases. It's more difficult to break. Or or our faith is stronger like a diamond is stronger. A diamond is the, the hardest naturally occurring substance on earth. And a diamond is created by subjecting carbon, carbon dioxide, to extreme heat, and extreme pressure. Suffering is like the fire that that tempers, that toughens the steel of faith. Suffering is like the pressure that hardens the diamond of faith. So when Paul says suffering produces endurance, he means that the heat and the pressure of suffering are what God uses to make our faith tough and hard, even unbreakable. 
Suffering produces endurance, strong, unbreakable faith. And knowing this, and knowing this changes, should change, our emotions regarding suffering. When you know that suffering isn't just some inevitable, meaningless, difficult part of life, why do we have to do this? Oh, woe is me, why am me? But that, but that suffering is part of God's plan to strengthen your faith, then you can rejoice in your sufferings. How? By knowing that suffering produces endurance. And then Paul adds the second way we can rejoice in suffering, by knowing that endurance produces character. Verse 3 into verse 4, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. So through the pressure of suffering, our faith is made stronger, tougher, it endures, and endurance produces character. That word character means, uh, uh, means to be proven or tested by a trial. In the NAS, NASB, it's translated proven character, and really it's, it's more of even the character, it's more of being proven. Your faith is proven. Endurance pr- produces provenness, you could say. You see that it's real and authentic and genuine. We all know people Uh, And even some of us here have gone through some intense suffering, painful loss, debilitating, uh, drawn-out illness, betrayal in relationships. And and there's one of two things, it seems, uh, that, that we see in the lives of people who experience great suffering. Either they turn to God... They seek Him for a a deeper relationship, for love and for comfort in their suffering. They even, or or especially in the midst of their suffering, they cling to Him. They call upon Him. Or, they turn from God, moaning, complaining, blaming God for their suffering. Why do you let this happen to me? Why me? What did I ever do to you? And Paul's saying that those who endure... Those who turn to God in their suffering are those who are authentic. They're proven. They're genuine. They have authentic faith. And the converse is also true that those who in the midst of suffering turn from God. Suffering is this crucible. It it puts you on one side or the other. Those who turn from God, their character, their faith has been proven to not be real, not genuine, to be inauthentic. And it's not that that they had real faith and the suffering destroyed it. It's that they had fake faith and the suffering revealed it. Judas is, a, is, a, is an example of this. All along, yeah, Jesus, I believe you following along. Then he betrays Jesus and he begins to suffer because of that. And he could have. He had the opportunity to return to Christ, but he never had real faith. And so he turns away and he hangs himself. So Paul wants us to know first, That suffering produces endurance. And second, that endurance produces proven character, provenness. And knowing and experiencing these truths is is what enables us to rejoice in our suffering. And then third, he goes on, we can rejoice in our suffering by knowing that character produces hope. Verse 3 again. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, how is that? What what does that mean? How does character, uh, proven genuineness of faith, produce hope? Well, 
Isn't it that, that when your faith has been tested by suffering, okay, and it endures, it's proven genuine, it's authentic, when that happens, you know, you have evidence uh, that your faith is real. When you go through a difficult situation and when, you, and when you come out the other side with your faith intact, still trusting in God, you know in a, in a new way that your faith is authentic, it's genuine. And doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that give you an assurance? Uh, remember, biblical hope is a surety. It's a sure, it's, 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 it's trusting in the future promises of God. Doesn't that give you assurance that you are a child of God, that you have real faith? That even though you suffer in this life, you have a sure hope that one day suffering will be no more when you're united with Christ through all eternity. You see, we're prone to question our faith. We sin. We can become concerned when we sin about our faith. Is our faith genuine? Oh, I just did that. Can, can my faith be real? We fear that we're hypocrites. We fear that we're saying we believe, but not really living our life in faith. We fear that our faith is not real, that, that maybe we're just following the example of our parents, those that handed down their faith to us. We fear that we're not believing the right stuff, that we've somehow missed out on who God really is and what God really requires of us to trust in Him. We question our faith. And so Paul is saying one of the purposes of suffering is that those who endure prove their faith. And therefore, they, they can know that their fears are unfounded. They can have a sure hope and confidence that they're a true child of God. They've endured suffering. They've passed the test. They have hope for a future that one day their suffering will come to an end. So God takes us through the, the hard and the fiery, uh, the, the pressure-filled times to temper the steel of our faith, to, to produce us, to make us hard like, like a diamond. And He shows us that we are real and authentic and genuine. We're proven. And that gives us hope. That gives us assurance that we will one day escape this world of suffering and dwell in the glorious presence of God for all eternity. And we can rejoice in that. Now there's one more reason Paul gives that we can rejoice in suffering. Just checking the... And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save it for next week. Woohoo! Are you happy? Those of you that are falling asleep are going, thank God. No. But... Uh, I'm going to give you the underlying thing here, knowing that hope does not disappoint. So we went from hope, uh, from uh, genuine faith, genuine uh, proven faith produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. And we're going to, uh, that's what we're going to focus on next week, and that's going to lead us into verses 6, 6 through 8, that hope does not disappoint. We're going to see how, next week, we're going to see how the love of God poured out into our hearts. That's what the verse says. Let me read it. And hope does not put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint. Same, same meaning. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We're going to see how the love God poured into our hearts and, and demonstrated through the sacrificial death of Christ. That's what we're going to talk about next week. He's going to go into talking about how, how Christ gives us hope and assurance of our faith that God 
is, is well placed in God. So more on that next week. But as I close today, and as, as Tom uh, Raisbeck comes up to lead us in communion, as we remember the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross when he paid for our sins, I want to close uh, by praying for each of us. That by receiving the knowledge, uh, really receiving the truth that Paul's given us in these, in these verses, that we will be people who can look at suffering in a, in a new way, in a new true way. That from this day forward, when we experience sufferings of all kinds, and, and, and we've experienced some, some more than others, but there's more to come, that we'll remember and meditate on the truths we've seen here today. That we'll be people who know that God has a purpose. God has purposes for our sufferings. That suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. And therefore, when we suffer, instead of moaning and complaining or even tolerating, we can rejoice. We can be a people who rejoice in our suffering. Would you pray with me? Father God, This isn't natural, and so we turn to you and we ask for you first to open our eyes to this truth, to this truth that you're at work in our lives, even in our suffering, maybe especially in our suffering. You're producing in us genuine faith. You're causing us to endure. You're showing us the genuineness of our faith. You're giving us a sure hope. Lord, and I pray that 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 as we, in days and weeks and months and years to come, experience suffering, Lord, that we would think upon these things, that we would think upon this truth and we would know this truth, Lord, and that we would be able to rejoice in our suffering, knowing that you're at work in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.